Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. Is that all the oh, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm gonna steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Fairmount Plus. Okay, um, my name's Colette Sandoval. I um, I have had Akbash dogs for almost five years now. Um, my journey with dogs, I've always had them my whole life. Um, my family raised and bred Labrador Retrievers. Um, so I was used to those type of dogs mainly, uh, the crazy puppies that will tear up everything, but are super loving and gentle and good natured and easy to train. Um, and now we have, we have dogs that are suitable for our lifestyle, um, raising livestock. Um, when we got into raising livestock, we realized we needed livestock guardians for sure. Um, and then we have herding dogs, which are Corgi and Mini Aussie right now. Um, those have to go through obedience training and then herding training, typically, but they do really well. Um, and um, what led us to the Akbash dog was purely vanity at first. Um, when I looked up Livestock Guardians, they were the ones that looked the best on the Internet to me, <laughs> picture-wise. Um, they were beautiful. Uh, I've always loved the Irish Wolfhound, and they do have that kind of uh, appearance to them. Their their hindquarters are slightly elevated, more than just straight across the back, um, and that's what we prefer in the breed. Um, they were gorgeous and came in many coat lengths. Um, so then that led us on our journey to find an established breeder and, and find our first Akbash dog. So, so the first one we got was, um, she was a six-month-old pup, and she was on a, I think about a 500-acre ranch in um, the southern United States, and she hurt her, her paw. So <clears throat> since we were on two-and-a-half acres in southern California, she was suitable for us. She wasn't going to be able to keep up on the whole 500 acres. Um, so we got her. She was shipped on an airplane in a crate. And so she was very stunned for about a week um, to the whole change in, in her environment, um, which could be understandable. And so it took about a week for me to gain her trust. Um, that took, you know, feeding and getting to her level, just kind of bending down and getting her to smell my hand or slowly come out of the crate. Um, after that, I would say it took two weeks for her to get established and realize that it's good and she's in a new environment and she was great. Um, the reason we, I guess if I back up a bit, the reason we had to get off Bosch or look for livestock guardians was we lost dozens of chickens um, and then we started losing baby lambs. So we were late, we were raising um, the black belly sheep for meat, and we had our first set of lambs, and they were gone. Um, and what we would see every morning from our kitchen window was a, about three to five coyotes on our on our hill. And we've always had dogs, so we had um, oh, we had the yeah, the German Shorter Pointer. Sorry. We had one of those, and they would constantly bark that fence line at those coyotes, and the coyotes would literally stay within three to four feet of them. They didn't care that those dogs were barking at them. Um, and then, of course, they didn't keep them out. You know, they came and killed some of our stock. So I was like, you know, there's got to be an answer to this. Um, we had never really heard of livestock guardians, except maybe the Pyrenees that people had. And then... Um, so anyways, I loved the look of the Akbash and went from there. And literally within, after Rasha established that that was her home and those were her her sheep and goats and kids and, you know, I think we had a couple mini miniature cows at the time, um, that that was hers to guard. And it didn't take long. I'd say it took maybe three and a half weeks. Um, 
and she, I never saw a coyote again. (laughs) So that was, that was strange. I never saw an altercation. I never saw a coyote come into our property and that she had to fight. And so I had this concept that, you know, the coyote will learn it. It's, you know, learn the lesson if, if it has a fight with this big mean dog in my yard. Well, that wasn't the case. Um, so I called the breeder and I'm like, you won't believe this. You know, I don't know what's happened. I've never seen her fight. She hasn't left the fence. You know, the area she's supposed to be in, I don't know what's going on. The coyotes are just gone. And, you know, the breeder assured me that, you know, it's just their bark. So from what people have said about LGBs is true, they're more of a deterrent than anything. Um, I don't really have to see that physical altercation between them and the predator. Um, and I haven't really seen that, honestly, in five years. Um, I know that others may have seen it more that have had livestock guardians for a longer time. Um, but that was my first, my first experience with her, um, knowing that, wow, like this, this is amazing. I don't, I don't, I, you know, and I was able to see the difference between her and my other dog, um, and that the coyotes were just gone. They never came back. I'm, I haven't lost an animal. Um, I don't lose animals now even. So they really, really done their job. Yeah, there's some huge differences starting from day one. Um, you know, as soon as those pups open their eyes and they're able to move around, um, I notice a difference. They're not as energetic. They are curious about their surroundings. Um, whereas the lab looks to the human, you know, for fun and entertainment and bonding and, you know, that kind of thing. It's not that the Oxbosh doesn't bond with people because they do. Um, it's just that they're more calm and assured of themselves from the beginning. They're not high energy. Um, they're not highly excitable. Uh, they don't jump on you. Like, yeah, even as pups, I have three kids who are out there constantly with our, our new pups, and they don't jump on you. I mean, they'll chew on your clothes and kind of play with you, but nothing nothing like a, a lab would. Um, they are highly independent. Um and they just know their job, it seems like, from day one. Uh, they they are calm with the goats and the sheep. I have some fun pictures of my puppies, and what they'll do is kind of start at the legs, sniffing up those goats and just like, what is this thing? And just looking at it, gazing in admiration of this animal <laughs> who sometimes likes those pups and sometimes doesn't. Um, another thing about the Oxbosh dog that I... I had to see to believe was when you have those dominant does in your herd, uh, I mean, they don't put the dogs in check, especially when they have kids on the ground. So what I find is that those dominant does will headbutt my Oxbosh dogs and my Oxbosh will always submit. They will lay on the ground and put their legs up and put total complete submission to that doe mm. and, you know, kind of cower their head lay there, look at them, and move on. Um, now, if a dog were to do that, were to, you know, question their dominance, it would be a full-on fight. Um, and I've seen that before, too. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's with the Oxbosh, it's not a fight to the death. And it's it, what it is is it's a warning, <laughs> right? So you'll start with the warning bark with, you know, stray dogs or dogs that they don't know, and if that dog continues to bark back or respond in an aggressive nature, the Oxbosh will then put it on its back and hold it down. Um, after a minute, they'll let them up, and if the dog doesn't take the warning and comes back, it will get a little more serious. Um, so they're just, you know, they're, they're friendly to the dogs in their pack at their house, but not to strays or unknown dogs. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> So a lot of controversy arises from that, believe it or not. Um, but from what I know, you know, the Akbash did originate in Turkey. Um, they were one of, they are very highly revered in Turkey, as well as the Congo. Um, and I want to see they're from the east, maybe western Anatolian region of Turkey. Um, and they're an ancient breed. They can't determine exactly where they came from, um, but they are a mixture of mastiff and gay town, 
which in comparison to other white LGDs, that's a huge difference. Um, and Aquash always produce that type of dog when they're bred. Um, they'll always be white, and they will have a gay town um, mastiff offspring. Um, so they are true to their breed when they are bred. Um, so they originate from ancient lines. Um, let me see if I can find some. I have some stuff about that, but I can't remember exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, they did. It was slightly, slightly south of Ankara. I've had a couple, um, I've had the privilege of hosting a couple um, Turkish gentlemen mm-hmm. who brought Akbash dogs to a friend of mine. Um, and they, oh my goodness, they, like, the Congo and the Akbash are nationally recognized breeds and highly revered. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that they're starting to do a little bit more research. Uh, they don't have a national breed registry there like we do here, um, but they are starting to get involved in that in the more of the European area um, to find out where these dogs originated from, and then it's moving into Turkey as well. Hmm. Um, defending property, Akbash would be okay at that, but they're they're true LGDs. Mm-hmm. They're not people aggressive. Um, they will bark at a strange person, so it's hard because, and then they're super independent. Mm-hmm. So you're talking like, I'm going to train a dog who doesn't want to take my command every second, right? I, I mean, she's going to sit if she feels like sitting that day, and then five minutes later, she's not, she's not going to sit. She's going to look at me like I'm crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, in comparison to like your Doberman or your Rottweilers that are more guardian types, you can train them to do the attack if you want or follow the command of not doing that um Akbash can't and don't usually do that um now i know in turkey they are looking at maybe breeding the Akbash to be more mastiff in appearance if that makes sense Mm -hmm. so what i've heard and i don't have a lot of information to back this up except word of mouth um and some pictures that they're trying to get a product that would be able to fight other dogs in a way, um, or at least stand up to that. So like if you were to put them in a situation where they would, they would be competitive, not that they wouldn't be the way they are, but they want them to be shorter, stockier in appearance, um, and that kind of thing. So typically that's why, that's why our Oxbosch Dog Association of America put breed standards together. Um, so that way we have what our breed should be and what it originally was. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that the Turkish people are not following that. Um, cause I can't say that. I don't know for sure, but I can say from what I've been told that they are breeding for a different look, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. rather than us. And I, you know, I've had people actually comment that are from Turkey saying that at least the U.S. breeders are keeping the breed the way the original breed was. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're trying to do that through our association and through UKC. Um, we do have breed standards that we try to stick to here. Mm-hmm. From the beginning of inception of, you know, finding these dogs in Turkey and then seeing how they're used in Turkey, they've been used as livestock guardians for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Nelsons went to Turkey in the 70s, and what they, you know, they went there familiarizing themselves with the American, well, the more common white guardian breeds that we have here, you know, like the Pyrenees or the Maremas, and noticed that there was a, a white dog in Turkey that was doing the same job. You know, um, I, they brought over 40 dogs to the U.S., so they're the first people to import dogs from Turkey to the United States, um, and that's how we have our breed mm-hmm. here. Um, I think the first one was brought in in 1978. Um, they arrived in the U.S., mm-hmm. and so that was when the Aquash Dog Association of America started to. And then in 1980, they, the USDA did a study on them, and that was an interesting what they had found out too. So, so they took. The USDA started a study of livestock guardians, mm-hmm. and it was it was based in Des Moines, Idaho, 
And um, it was under the U.S. Sheep Experimental Station. is where it was housed. And I believe it was Dr. Green and Dr. Woodruff. Now, when I when I talk about this, sometimes there's different views of it. But um, the Akbash dog scored high um, as far as staying with the flock and also being predator aggressive. They scored very high mm-hmm. um, on that. And I, they, I think they looked at, let's see, there was five different breeds. 763 dogs were looked at in this study. So, um, and there was little known about the Oxbosch dog at this time. I mean, you can imagine if the first one was brought in 1978 and then in 1980 the USDA did a study and included this dog. It was amazing that the Oxbosch dog was even included in the study. Um, and then in 1996 they did another study um, and that was 30 purebred Oxbosch dogs and then 30 Anatolian shepherds, I believe, replaced with sheep. What they what they came to the conclusion of is that the Anatolian shepherds were a little more aggressive to stock than the Akbash. Um, they both were aggressive about the same amount towards um, predators. And um, I forget what else. There was more stuff that in the studies, but those are so fun to research and look at mm-hmm. and just kind of compare the studies that were done. And there's more studies being done now. Um, I know Texas AgriLife yeah. is doing a livestock guardian dog study. Yeah. Um, I met at you know at the Oxbosch Dog Association. We have an annual meeting every year, and it was in Llano, Texas. Mm-hmm. And I have the privilege of meeting the gentleman who started that. So he's he's starting to look into getting purebred Oxbosch dogs too. Wow. Let's see. There was an Israeli cattleman. Um, that this is a fun story. So he had, um, he's part of the Cattlemen's Association in Israel, and his name is Omar Biner. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. But uh, so he traveled to the U.S. looking for Akbash dogs because he had already Commodores, uh-huh. no, Pyrenees and Maremas. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, that is Pyrenees and Maremas. Um, <laughs> the Maremas, from his point of view, were too aggressive towards the vet and anybody who were giving vet care. To these dogs, um, and then the Pyrenees were not predator aggressive enough, um, so that's why he came here looking for the Akbash dog. He was introduced to them, and um, so one story that he had of the Great Pyrenees was they befriended a wolf, a female <laughs> wolf, yeah, and they led her into the pack. Well, she didn't hurt the stock or anything. Um, they got along just fine. It was on three hundred and fifty acres or so. And she whelped a litter of nine pups during that time. Well, she didn't do anything until they had pinned the calves during weaning, and she let her puppies and her go get some calves, and the Pyrenees allowed it. So you can imagine, you know, as a cattleman, you can't lose those calves. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he also said that jackal was a problem out there, which was smaller than the wolf but that the jackal was super persistent. It would come and find a calving mom, and she, you know, they would just go after her, knowing that she was on the ground about the calf. Um, the Pyrenees would run them off, then the jackals would follow the Pyrenees back into, you know, the, to where the mom was, the, the cow, and um, then they would just kind of give up after a few attempts at this. Um, so I think he contacted the USDA in 1996 around there and, and brought his first Oxbosch dog. I want to see the results of that. I've heard it, it's worked out very well. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I can't find any literature on it, um, any studies. So that would be an interesting follow-up to do. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. I think he was, there was a documentary, um, called The Lost World of the Holy Land, and those Akbash dogs are on that documentary for about five minutes. Oh. So, I think it was 1998 or 97 that the UKC um, became the breed registry of the Akbash dog. Um, other before that, it was the Akbash Dog Association of America um, that, that had the only breed registry, and they kept accurate, still keep accurate records of that. So the UKC even allowed us to do single registry um, because we kept a good relationship with them over the years. Um, 
And the breed standards, I don't have them completely memorized. I know I told you the, mm-hmm. the gaze hound, mastiff look is what you're going for in overall appearance. Um, but there is general appearance. Like, they need to be long-legged, lean, muscular dogs. They need to have imposing size and strength. Um, I know some people say that size can slow a dog down, but with the overall gaze hound, mastiff, you know, combination that the Oshkosh dog has, they're very agile. In fact, you know, I keep mine in working condition, but I, I say that because I, I mean, I feed them just like I do regular dogs. They almost keep themselves in working condition, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, they eat what they want. They'll leave what they don't want. Um, and they know, I mean, they stay in tip-top shape, very muscular, very strong, very agile. Um, they are longer in proportion body-wise than they are height-wise. So you want them to be more rectangular, um, long, lean, and pretty solid in the front. So like in the, you know, in the front area, you want them wide and imposing, you know, as far as, as far as their front appearance. Um, very angular in the rear. We want angularity in those hind legs mm-hmm. so that they can move freely and quickly. Um, let's see. So the, the difference between them and maybe the Pyrenees is that, you know, that stop right on the top of the muzzle. Mm-hmm. The um, off-wash dog is supposed to flow slightly down and forward into the muzzle. Mm-hmm. There is no stop there. Um, the eyes are... Medium, medium-sized almond-shaped and set well apart. The eye color can be um, golden brown to dark brown. I think the darker brown color is preferred. We have some disqualifications in the eyes, of course, which would be blue or lack of pigmentation. Uh, the pigmentation, that brings me to that. The, the pigment on the Aquash dog is dark. It's supposed to be dark. That's highly desirable. Um, the nose, the inside of the mouth the underneath the belly so your pigment's important um and as breeders you breed for good pigment um and that's i mean that comes with you know protecting them from the sun um the protecting their bodies in the cold so the, their nose will turn a little pink in the winter which is fine but if there's lack of pigment on the nose and it's got pink on it all the time that's you wouldn't want to breed in. It's not a disqualification, but you would not want to, you know, breed that into the Oxbosh dog. And there are some, very few, that have a pink nose. Um, their teeth are large, evenly spaced. Um, a scissor bite is preferred, but a level bite is acceptable also. Um, missing more than one teeth is a serious fault um, and an undershot or overshot bite. I know that... Um, a lot of breed problems um, are not found in the Oxbosh dog, and I think that's because it's not overly bred, and it is not... If, okay, so if we talk about purebreds, right, I mean, you know what you're getting characteristic-wise mm-hmm. and, and overall breed standard. Um, you know, you would stick to that. And with that comes little to no problems medically with Mm -hmm. these dogs um i mean you can get genetic testing done and i know a lot of breeders do that and know a lot of breeders do the hip testing i am not one of them um and the reason is the ofa it can only it can only determine the hips of one dog at one at that one stage in its life so it's not gonna. So it could say that the dog is completely fine and their hips. They're not gonna be prone to hip dysplasia or joint problems as that dog matures or grows. That can change completely. And there's been studies on that. So there is the pin hip test. And the reason I haven't done the pin hip test only is because it requires anesthesia. And since Oxbosch dogs are not prone to hip dysplasia at all, um, I don't see the need to take my working dogs out of their environment, put them under anesthesia. And, and subject them to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that's a controversial stance, <laughs> but I don't see the need 
Um, and if, if, you know, overall, when I was finding my breeding pair, I, I have mentors and breeders that I had look at my dogs and look at my pups before I got them. And, you know, there's a long line of really good breeding into them. And then they're producing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, just amazing quality pups. Um, you know, we've shown ours in a couple UK shows, which is good. I mean, I literally take my now out of the pen, out of the goat pen, and take them to the show, and I hate it amazing. Um, they're very versatile in that way. I have one, I've had two litters so far only, and out of those two litters, one of the dogs is a companion pet type dog who's doing excellent um, in, his, in his new home, and is uh, the life of the party, I hear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, they can be pets. They don't have to have, like, this huge property. They don't have to have other dogs to be companions with. They're very independent, and they're not high energy by nature. Um, So, you know, I wouldn't say put them in an apartment environment or put them in a small backyard where, you know, they're going to constantly be barking and bothering people because that, you know, that's just not ideal for them. But um, this gentleman actually has his on two acres, but, you know, that pup lives in the house, and goes with him everywhere to town to race cars, shows, and and does fine. Um, he might have his own podcast soon. I don't know. Right. <laughs> He's getting to know a lot of people. Um, but I hope that kind of goes through the breed standard. If you have any other questions about that, too, I can can point you in the in that specific direction. They do come in different coat size lengths, um, medium and long. Um, my female is really short, so... I almost feel like there's three coat lengths in the Osbosh dog, although it can vary from season, of course. Um, my my male, it would be considered medium to long coat. He gets a really nice mane, and his tail's feathery, but not as much as some, um, which is perfect. I mean, they can withstand any climate. Mm-hmm. I mean, even the short-haired Osbosh would do well in the cold and in the summer. They have dual coats that they shed out, you know, mm-hmm. during the summer, so... They do well in all environments. Yeah, I mean, you look for that breed standard. I mean, I'm looking at the angularity um, in their hind legs. I'm looking at their willingness to um, to bond with the goats and the sheep and, um, you know, watching how confident they are in, the, in their litter mates, you know, comparably. I... Um, I, I see the difference sometimes in them. Um, that changes, though. I mean, you're talking like I get to see them up until about 10 to 12 weeks. I usually keep mine that long. Um, and then I find that their their character traits change. So I don't put a lot of weight on that, particularly. I'm, I'm looking mainly at the pigment. I want deep, dark pigment in my puppies. I want that nice angularity. Um, that curl tail, you know, I, I mean, Osbosh, it's not, the tail, if it's sometimes more straight, it doesn't come all the way around the back. Mm-hmm. It's not um, a disqualification, although you want, you know, that curl tail, which is, is typical to the breed. Um, you know, I, those are the main things I look for. I like, you know, that deep chest, moderately wide. Um, I like the ribs well sprung from the spine and, you know, flattened that, flattened to form a deep body, you know, extending to the elbows. I kind of, I look for those things. Um, I also like the larger pups. Um, my male is probably, he's one of the larger Osbosh dogs out there. He's about 120, 125 pounds, and he's two years old. My, from my, from my research, Osbosh dogs mature out at four. Mm-hmm. Um, they take a little longer Although their personality is not immature a lot sooner. Um, my female, she's smaller. She's probably 85, 90 pounds. And that is something that I um, am careful about as a breeder because that is the standard. The female is always smaller than the male. Um, she's more defined in her feminine features. Um, and that's the quality that the Osbosh dog has in their breed standards um and then you know i 
like thinking of my pups, I have one that was super shy in his litter mates. You know, if I was looking at his pup, I may not have kept him back. Um, but he, you know, he started to, he loved my kids. He loved to lay with the buck that I have. I had a Nubian buck at the time, and he loved to lay in the yard with him in the sun. And, you know, he was overall a great, you know, dog as far as if I wanted him to bond with the goats and the sheep and the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I just thought, you know, he's, he's going to be amazing wherever he's at, but he's just not as assertive as his mom, which is sometimes typical between the male and female. Um, well, he went to his home in Oklahoma, and I got a call from his owner that he just, one night, he was probably at this time maybe eight months old, he was barking just uncontrollably, and it's a different bark, so they ran out um, to see what was going on, and the barn was on fire. Oh. Yeah, so they had locked up the goats and everything in the hay barn for the evening, and um, it was on fire. And come to find out, a passerby had thrown out a cigarette into the hay pile. And so that's what started the fire, and he alerted them soon enough to come and put out the fire themselves. They didn't have to call the fire department. Um, but he was going ballistic, and that's what that's what alerted him, you know, alerted them to what was going on with him. Um, and then I had another pup that went to its home in close to here where we live um, in Arizona, and he actually jumped through fences to run off a mountain lion from getting to the ram and his weather friend that were in a separate pen. So it was within the property, but he had to go over two gates to get to that ram who was getting attacked by the mountain lion. So the ram survived, and there is evidence of um, claw marks on his belly, but that's it. He's gone now. (laughs) So he, you know, that that off-flash dog did his job that day. Mm -hmm. Um, So those are neat stories I have, and so it's like, I say it's still hard to tell as a pup. You know, breed standard-wise, there are things I can look for that I would want to hold back and breed into them. But overall, sticking to the characteristics of the breed, they breed what what they breed. Like, they have the same qualities and characteristics as the parents do. Um, one thing that was interesting, too, it, is I found we, we recently bought pigs for my kids to show. And my female does not like the pigs. My female dog. Huh. Yeah, she doesn't like them. They look funny, they smell funny, they sound funny. And, you know, I'm like, okay, Russia, why can't you? She's, she's just solid overall. So whatever we bring in here, um, she'll bond to and protect, but not these pigs. So what I was looking at is when they were, like in ancient Turkey, they were raised to fight off bears. Mm-hmm. Right, that was, and then bears have kind of not been as prevalent, and I think there were lions at the time too. And then it became more wolves and wild boars. Um, so after doing research, I'm like, well, maybe that's kind of bred into her, you know, keeping <laughs> the wild boars away. <laughs> I don't know. And so, and then we also have javelinas here, and I think of a a javelina came in, there's no way she would tolerate that. Mm-hmm. So my poor Russia, you know, I've confused her completely with bringing these pigs in. So we've had them for a couple months, so we'll see. <laughs> I'm hoping she'll start to bond to them. But, yeah, it's in her nature. Um, I, because it's true to its characteristics. Mm-hmm. Um, it's true to what the original breed is and was. Um everything that it was bred to do and research that was done on it, it performed above and beyond, you know, what it, what's expected of it. Uh, you know, like I said, it's, you, you throw these dogs out in two, 300 acres, which I know people who have them and do, and they just perform beyond their expectations. Um, so they are true to what they were bred to do. And the other thing you, you know, you're not training these dogs to guard. You're not training these dogs to guard livestock at all. I mean, my pups are with livestock from day one, which helps, you know, because they know the smell, they know the sound, they're used to it. Um, 
but they that naturally they're they've bonded and they've formed themselves within this herd of goats or sheep or cattle or you know I, I know they've been guarding even emus and ostrich um there's oh there was a fun study i think it was congos were guarding a cheetah or something like that. I have to look into that. But it, it's just—I mean—they're just so versatile. Mm-hmm. They are so smart and versatile in their breed and in their characteristics to perform and have the traits that they were bred to have. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I—you know—I have the understanding that that the Osprey dog and the Congo dog are national native Turkish breeds, um, highly revered by the Turkish people. In fact, so highly revered that they will not let us import them anymore, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Um, but the, from what I understand and from what I gather from DNA research that was done and also from um, people I've talked to from Turkey and who have visited Turkey, is in my view with what my limited experience is, it's, it's different. Um, there are some definite differences, although I wouldn't, I wouldn't sway my puppy owners to go one way or the other, right. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I evaluate what they're looking for and what they're wanting the dog to do, and then we go from there. Um, but so my female is calm-natured, but very aloof to strangers. Um, in fact, so much so that if somebody that she doesn't know will come into the pen to see the um, goats, or whatever we're having there, um, she runs away. <laughs> she kind of looks at them with disdain and runs away. Um, the only time I've ever seen her bark at someone was when um, she had pups, which is understandable, right? You know, if somebody's coming into your pen with pups, you're going to bark at them. Mm-hmm. Um, but they are bite inhibited to people. They do not typically ever bite people. I don't think there's ever a case of them, purebred Oxbosh dogs, doing that. Um, and then she's more... She'll hold back. Like if there if there's deer on the mountain or things that we see that my male is posturing and barking at right away, she'll kind of not do it until they get within a certain distance. They have it in their head this distance that these predators are supposed to be at. Um, and it's fun because we get to monitor that with the deer. Um, so mine are not raised around deer. So when they see the deer coming down the mountain, they they posture and bark at them. Um, but the the male, he'll do that, and, and I and I almost feel like Rasha, the female, keeps him in check. Like she gives him, she gives him guidance. She is she is definitely in charge. Um, you know, she kind of keeps him in line, and he almost looks to her for the answer at times if he's unsure. Um, and I I would tell, you know, the breeder I bought my mentor that, and and you know she told me a fun story of Turkey. Um, when she went there, the sheep herders tell her that they always have one female per five males out with the sheep. Mm-hmm. And their reasoning is that the female, for one, will stay back with the sheep as the males go out and chase the predator or attack the predator. Um, and she also keeps them in line. Like, she keeps them focused. She keeps them where they're supposed to be, and imagine one female dog keeping five dominant dogs, mm. five dominant male dogs in check. But that's that's how it works. And I thought, you know, I could really see that, especially in the, you know, how they are in their pack, um, how she's the dominant female, and he almost looks to her for, you know, what I'm supposed to do, where I'm supposed to be, is that a serious threat or not, um, you know. And she's always been that way. Um, at six months, she was very focused, very... I, I didn't have to worry about her chasing stock ever. Um, she never chewed things up, you know, tearing things apart. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would, I got a male off dog, and he was different. You know, at dusk, he would want to chase the stock a little bit. <laughs> you know, you had to tell him no. Um, and they do respond very well to that. So it's not that they won't do it. Um, they do, especially when they're young. That six-month to 18-month time frame, they do need guidance. I don't say it's training because they don't need to be trained to be guardians. 
but they do need guidance. They need to be taught the word no. Um, they need to be told what's acceptable or what's not. Um, and chasing stock is not acceptable, and they need to be taught that right away. Um, you know, and, and there's ways to, to teach them that quickly. And typically, I mean, I know it's controversial. Here we go. I'll say it again. <laughs> but our flush dogs have been proven to be ready to guard at six months of age. Mm-hmm. Now, they might not be at their peak um, weight and strength, but they are very serious and doing their job at that age. Mm-hmm. So if you throw them out into an environment where you've got six, 700 acres, you know, you might need more than just one dog, obviously, right? You're, and you're going to need an older dog, too, than six months. But if we're talking about deterring predators, they can do it at that age. Mm-hmm. You know, they might not have the physical strength with, you know, you don't want to set them up for failure, right? So you don't want to just throw them out there, which is typically what they do in the United States. You know, they throw them out there and say, you need a guard, be cheap. And, you know, that's a lot to ask of any dog. Um, where in Turkey, what they were used for was that same function, but they always had a shepherd, right? There's a shepherd that lives with the flock. And so that shepherd in return watches for the outflash dog or gives them guidance. You know, if you're going too far, that's not acceptable. If you're playing over here, that's not acceptable. You know, so they, they are given guidelines. Um, and that and that keeps them where they need to be and doing their job efficiently. Uh, I, can, I can say that there are outflash dogs on hundreds of acres doing their job efficiently. So what we've done is we've asked them to do this and to protect this dog. And they are, mm-hmm. um, and they're doing it phenomenally. Um, I know that in Texas, they're having problems with the black vultures and the black vultures are not native to Texas. Um, I, I think they came from South America, but don't quote me on that. Um, but they came from somewhere else. And so what they're doing is they're attacking calves, live calves, and they go first for the eyeballs. Mm. Yeah, so this is some research stuff going on, I think, with, you might be with the USDA or Texas AgriLife, too. Um, and so what they found out is there are certain LGD breeds that do not do well with white predators. They could care less. Well, these, these Texans need something that works with white predators. Um, it's killing their calves. It's killing goats, live goats. Um, so they brought in the Oxbosh dog. And sure enough, that Oxbosh dog does not allow flight predators into their domain and not around their stock. Um, I watch it from my window every day. You know, there's some ravens that will go into the pen, and my Oxbosh dogs chase them out of the pen. Um, so that's an interesting realization we have, you know, as far as researching these dogs and seeing what they're capable of. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they do not like flight predators. I... I live on 15 acres um, in central Arizona, and I, what I have is the whole entire property is not fenced, right? So I can't let my box dogs completely out because I have neighbors. I'm not as rural as um, some people are. And uh, I keep them in a separate pen with goats, probably about an acre they have. And there's horses, goats, pigs, when Russia tolerates them. <laughs> and right. Um, what else do I have there? I have a goose. I have um, free-range chickens 24-7, and the free-range chickens go all 15 acres, you know, um, and I don't lose chickens. So just their bark alone keeps the coyotes out of our area. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have problems with them coming in, and I see the coyotes. I see them all over, um, but they don't come into our property, and they don't get our stock, not even our chickens that Technically, they could get if they wanted to. Um, so it's amazing what a deterrent they are. And I, I try to tell people that. So, you know, you're talking like getting these dogs more involved in research studies and, um, you know, how we can save livestock. Because I know people are losing, you know, ranchers are losing stock mm-hmm. and, and sheep producers. And so, you know, you can't. You can't make a go of it when you're losing 30, 40%, you know. 
um, and not steering when you're birthing these animals. So when they put the Akbash dog with them, it, it makes their success rate go up to 95, 100%. You know, they're not losing the stock like they used to. And so I think that these studies that they're doing is amazing, right? I mean, it's just showing what all these LGDs are capable of and how, you know, really you can't be out there with a gun to get all the predators, right? You can't 24-7. And these animals, these dogs give you that peace of mind while you're sleeping, Mm -hmm. um, that your stock will be safe in the morning, you know, they'll still be there. So um, that's an amazing feature of these these dogs and what they can do. There's just no genetic diseases in these. I think um, one thing that some of us noticed from a particular line, because the lines are pretty far and few between, um, there was the demodetic mange. Uh, So it happened in some puppies. And it was from a particular line, and those puppies nursing on their mom were more susceptible to those mites, that particular mite. So that was interesting. But um, so what What you do as breeders, you know, you just don't breed those lines. Right. Um, yeah, because, I mean, that's something that's controllable and treatable, but, you know, why would you breed that into your dog? Um, but, you know, typically you're not getting, like, the overshot or undershot bite. Mm-hmm. You're not getting deaf dogs, blind dogs. Um, I... You might check with some of the long-term breeders. I don't think anybody has ever had a blue-eyed Akbash dog. Um, that's a disqualification. But that, you know, that would be worth researching. Um, there's no epilepsy or heart disease in Akbash dogs. Um, what else? They 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 just don't have joint issues. Um, we're not breeding for a specific look. And these animals, we're, we're breeding to the breed standard. Um, so you're breeding good, good hips, good joints, um, nice angularity in those legs. Um, so you don't have those ACL problems, uh, you know, with the straightness in the rear, the rear legs. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, the genetic diseases are just not there, not there in the Akbash dog. Um, they get high protein dog food with usually uh, two raw eggs a day. Mm-hmm. Um, my females get, you know, well, my one female, I shouldn't say females, my one female, she gets um, extra vitamins um, and stuff she has whenever she is in heat or, you know, about to have puppies. Um, but that, I mean, it's pretty easy on what they eat mm-hmm. if i throw in that raw egg every day into their dog food they're usually more than happy to eat it they're not chow hounds by any means um they they take time eating their food mm-hmm. um so they're a little slower and meticulous about it i'll have a, my female she'll even bury it sometimes <laughs> and unbury it later even her whole bowl huh. so yeah especially if she's and if she's about to whelp some pups i think um in the next two days and uh she buries her goal for later that's interesting (laughs) yeah um i've brought mine in before they just walk right in and look around and turn around and walk back outside (laughs) you know that's mine (laughs) they're like where what are we doing in this place um but you know the the owner who has his as a pet oh you know, it's so fun because he sends me videos all the time on what what Hub is doing. His mm-hmm. name's Hub. Yeah, and Hub goes to the racetrack. Um, Hub drives his Dodge truck. Hub gets a basket in the four-wheeler um, and gets taken on rides everywhere. And I think he's getting almost too big for <laughs> the basket. Um, he just lays around the house. He plays with the house cat. Um, there's one house cat that won't tolerate him, so he knows his boundaries with that particular cat. Um, he is friends with a golden retriever who comes to visit him um, and is afraid of a little chihuahua <laughs> that comes <laughs> to visit him. <laughs> you know, 
yet he's still a pup. So that could change. Um, he's, he's learning. He's learning his environment. He's learning that there's strange dogs coming in and out all the time. Um, so what I tell my owners is that, you know, enjoy it, but it could change. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he may be less accepting of that once he is fully confident and independent in where he's at and this is his territory and this is who he is. Um, that can change. So, you know, I think the fun thing about Oxbox dogs is they can, they can know when another dog is trying to establish dominance or not. Like if this dog, this golden retriever is probably not going to be a threat. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'll probably always get along. If that golden retriever decides one day that, you know, he wants to be the dominant dog around, the Oxbox dog will take care of that mm-hmm. first time, every time. Um, but there, you know, there are other dominant breeds that they may not interact well with at all, ever, because mm-hmm. um, they do require dominance. And I've seen it. Um, my female required dominance over my German short hair pointer female, and um, that was that was an everyday occurrence. Now there wasn't blood involved. I didn't get to that point, but my German short hair pointer just wasn't going to give up that dominant position easily. Mm-hmm. So she, you know, my female Oxbosch dog required it and and got it within about a week and a half. So you know they do they do require that, and people look at it as something really bad or negative. Um, I look at it as maybe establishing that in the pack so that they all mesh well together and they know their position, and then they can confidently move along and in that pack and, you know, mm-hmm. and work well together. Um, and that's what I've noticed with my Oxbosch dogs. Mm-hmm. Now I've only owned two, you know, I've only owned a male and female pair. Mm-hmm. Um, I keep it pretty small. Yeah. Mm-hmm. On my, on my pack. Um, and we only have 15 acres. So two is more than does the job for us. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm.